you know, a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about messages about following Jesus, and we let you all know that, nobody walked up to me before the servant said, hey, you're going to talk about following Jesus today, aren't you? However, today, surprisingly, the number of people who said to me, so you're going to talk to me about sex today. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm really, uh, I I like the concept of this series. I think it's going to be particularly provocative. And I can say that relatively easily because I didn't come up with a concept to the series. We have a team of people who develops the concepts for the year. And and I did not come up with this one. But I think it's a particularly powerful one because, you know, some of these really important issues in our life, they usually get discussed out on the edges by people screaming at each other, and very little is, is discussed at, at the center, where the heart of it is. And so for us, the, the metaphor that worked is you got somebody on a soapbox and yelling out, and somebody with a hand grenade ready to toss it at them, throw the opposite side. And, and, and so every, seri- every talk will have a soapbox and a hand grenade. And the soapbox for this series, it's the quick, down and dirty, real uh, trite but direct statement, what is... Our teaching on sex. Well, sex is great as long as you stay within the lines. And as long as you stay within the lines is really the important part because that's the whole key. It's great, but really, you got to stay within the lines. And we'll tell you what the lines are. And if you, uh, nothing that you're outside there. So just, that's really all I got to say about it. Sex is great, but stay within the lines. We got some clear boundaries and we have a lot of them. And when you leave today, there'll be a little handout and it will show you where the boundaries are and it'll show you when you've stepped over just the edge. and and then we're going to have a metaphorical hand that slaps you at that point so you know that you've stepped over the line. The soapbox concept really came from the idea that people in public squares would stand on a soapbox so they could be seen and they would speak. And when you stood on the soapbox, that meant you had the right to speak. You got the voice. And so, historically, it's come to this. One in the soapbox is the one who has the moral authority to speak. And a quick, direct statement backed by a perceived moral authority can often end conversations quickly. Sex is great. Stay within the lines. If you go outside the lines, you're not a very good person. You need to get back within them. That's all I got to say about that. Well, on the other side is the hand grenade, which is sex is great. Come on. The boundaries are artificial. You just made them up. Really, if it's a good thing, then what's all the boundaries about? It's good here. It's not good here. It's good at this time. Can't be good here. It's really not good by yourself. It's good if you're with another person, but it has to be a certain person. And it can be this person for a while, but if something happens, then it can no longer be that person. So it's good here, bad there, bad there. Come on. The lines are artificial. Sex is great. Can we just stop the statement there? You know, sex is great. Off you go. Have a nice day. Honestly, I could talk about this one for a long time. You know, it's sort of like this. Apparently, from the traffic on my street, people like Big Daddy's Burger Bar. (laughs) There are certain times when I have difficulty driving up my street, much less parking, because people like Big Daddy's. Now, let me just say this is clear. Food's good. In fact, it's normal to want it. It, it, if you don't want it, we've got other issues we can discuss. Food's a good thing. However, I can make a knockdown case to you that eating a Big Daddy's burger, as large 
and juicy as it might be. For example, the Frenchie, which is a turkey burger, though you can replace it with a full Angus beef burger, covered with a slice of pear, brie cheese, and bacon. And then a little bit of sauce. With some homemade tater tots with a special sauce. I can make a knockdown case for you that that's not good. Really, eating is good, it's great, but you've got to stay within the lines. And really, Big Daddy's is not good for you. However, again, judging by the number of cars on my street, lots of y'all eat there. I myself, true confessions, have eaten at Big Daddy's. <laughs> this is how I can describe the Frenchie in intimate detail. But I don't have the dater dots. I have sweet potato fries because they're potatoes and it's near a, a fruit, sort of. And so they're not so bad. No, no, when I go into Big Daddy's, I don't care how good it is. I don't. I don't care if it's good for me. I know it's not. I'm going to eat there anyway. And I promise you, if you all go there, when you walk out, I'm not going to be going like, oh, there you go. Not living well. <laughs> going outside the boundaries. Isn't to be crass, isn't sex the Big Daddy's hamburger? I mean, even if it's wrong in certain contexts, what's the big deal? I'm not going to get upset with you, if you cared if I got upset. No one's going to really think it's morally wrong for you to eat Big Daddy's, and yet we all know it's probably not best. So what's the big deal with sex? Why can't we just say, maybe in some context it's better and more fulfilling, but it's never bad, and when it is, it's not going to kill you. Come on. So that's, that's the question. You know, Steve and I were having a discussion this week, and one of the things we were talking about was that often in the really big issues of life, we end up talking in the very edges of it, in the extremes, the sort of the 2% of the conversation on each side. And we think that's the center, and it's not. And there's like this big bulk, which is actually the center of the conversation. But we spend most of our time on the edges. And in sex, the, the edges are real specific things like, and don't get, get me wrong, I'm not saying these are insignificant, but they're the edges of the conversation, not the center. You know, pornography and premarital sex, and we're all talking about the specifics, and but we're not getting to... What's the center of the question? And, and the center of the question is, is sex a physical act? Just a physical act? Is it just something we do, and we've added up a bunch of rules of right and wrong to somehow try to hem it in? And can't we just make the, you know, drop some of the rules and go, it's just, a, it's just a physical act. Today, what I'd like to do is we're going to try to get to the center. I'm going to try to tell you what I think at the heart of the issue of sex is, and then we'll, we'll touch on the edges. But those are really conversations for outside. And to do that, I want to go back to the... We're going to jump forward to Proverbs in a few minutes. But to start out, I want to go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, where God has a man and a woman. And I just love the context of this passage and how it lays out. It's like, okay, there's a man and a woman, and they're naked. 
and they're brand new. So I'm thinking there's no wrinkles and everybody looks really good. And Adam is going, you know, God, when you made the platypus, I thought that was really cool. But this is a good idea. I like it. Be fruitful and multiply. God, I'm on it. Obedience is my middle name. You know? I'm going to get on that command right now, if you'll excuse me. And then maybe at noon and maybe at six, too. Because, you know, God, I'm about obedience. And if we get any fruitful and multiply, me and her, we're off. It's a happy moment. And then God, this is what he says. See, it says before that, before God brings them together, it says it's not, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so, that's what I'm going to do. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And it's in that context that God is sort of defining what sexuality is. Human sexuality is about connection, one person with another. And it almost as if God's looking and searching for the exact way to say it. He's saying, this is what I want. I want people to live connected to one another, intimate. In the, in the physical act of sex, both demonstrates it and at some level, when lived right, fulfills it. And, and when I say when lived right, this is what I mean. I'm not talking about moral things. I'm talking about there are people who are married and who are having sex who are not experiencing a whole lot of connection. Maybe none. There are people who are single who are not having sex who are experiencing an awful lot of connection because the, they've understood the sort of the core concept that God was articulating in that, which is that I want people to find a connection an intimacy with one another that's real and deep and vital. And quite honestly, this is at the core of the universe. You know, the, the, there's edges of the conversations about the God as a trinity, which can be confusing. But at the center of that conversation is that there's three in one, that even in his very being, God expresses the idea of connection, of, of oneness. And, and there's something holy, there's something pure, and there's something beautiful when human beings, and I know I never say H's, just go with it, and it's beings, not beans. Yeah. I don't know how people say the H's, honestly. It's, it's how human beings find connection with another person. And, and there's something profound when human beings find connection with God. And that's really when our hearts come alive. To know and to be known. To love and to be loved. In the end, everything else just seems like details. And so God initiates this act as a picture and as a fulfillment of the concept of connection, of intimacy that's profound and that's deep. Okay. Let's say up to this point you go, fair enough. Sounds good. I'm with you. Okay. I can see that sex is meant to be, you know, about connection. And when it's not, it's probably not best. But what's really the big deal if it's outside of that? Let's turn to Proverbs. If, if you have started reading Proverbs, if you are in the Proverbs challenge, if you're not, I encourage you to join in. Uh, it, it, what you'll discover in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is a piece of literature called wisdom literature. Wisdom is essentially how to live skillfully, how to, how to live well. And while there's pieces of wisdom all, you know, throughout many documents and places, and in this 
book, as well as other places in the Bible, but in this book, God articulates sort of this, this, this call to wisdom. And as you read through the book of Proverbs, you're going you're to see a couple of things. And one of them you're going to see, like, right here, is that there's, there's voices. And there's voices of, 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 of the Father and of the, the God personified as, a, as Sophia, wisdom, the woman, speaking to us. And then there's other voices. And one of the voices here is the adulterist speaking. And, and, and they're, they're calling to each other. And they're calling to the same part of humanity, but offering distinctly different paths about where to find life. And, and in this passage in chapter 5, which is your reading for tomorrow... It says this, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Now, what's curious, not curious, but what's important about this opening to this passage is that one of the constant themes early on is the father speaking to his son about how to live. And it never says, and this will be important later, it never says, you never hear the father going, look, could you just start acting a little better? I mean, let me just give you a list of rules and start doing them, and that'd be great. And then maybe you won't embarrass your mother and I by your lifestyle, and you know, just follow some rules, okay? And never does it have this feel like, okay, good, good religious people live this way, and so here's how you ought to live. It always has this this character of a father imploring his son as if it matters. As if what he's saying is urgent and important. My son, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm offering you a pathway. And it goes on. This is what it says. And now we hear the sort of the other side. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. And in this context, the adulteress is, is a metaphor. It's Yes, it means adulteress. But it also means the, the voice of one who is calling out and saying, Forget what God is saying. There's, I can meet your needs in you know, other ways. Trust me. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. And what the... Father speaking this says to his son, "Is you're you're going to hear voices. You are, and they're going to be they're going to sound really good because they're going to be speaking to parts of you that are vitally alive, and you're going to be telling you, come on, follow this. I can get you some quick and easy satisfaction. And what the father says, it's again really important. He doesn't go, but if you follow her, you'll be a bad person." Here's the lines. You'll be outside of them. You'll now be bad, and God will not like you anymore. What he says is, look, it's not the way of life. I know it looks good. I know it sounds good. There's a lot of things that sound good that really don't work for you. Son, it's not a hamburger. If you follow down this path, there's a way that seems right. But in the end, it it leads to death. It will do violence to your soul. Well, why? Really. God's saying sex is about connection. It's about commitment. It's about an expression of intimacy that's deep and profound. And why, if I get outside of that, does it do violence to my soul? Because when we take things 
that are meant for power and for beauty in our lives, and we minimize them. And we turn them into their most superficial and lowest form. We strip our soul of the ability to find the actual thing. For example, when we do com- communion here, you know, the, you know, the breaking of the bread and the wine, when we do that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, meant to be a graphic representation of the death of Christ for us. And we graphically take it and take it inside as a, as a sort of an indication that we have received the death of Christ for us, that his sacrifice we believe in. And what I say before that is if you're someone who has not put their faith in Jesus, who's not done this, I, I don't say if you have somebody who's not doing this, and you can't have any of this, you know. Jesus died for you, but if you don't believe it, you can't have any of our bread and wine because that's outside the rules. What I will say to you is, don't, don't, don't do it for your own sake, because when we take something of significance and turn it into bland ritual, we do violence to our soul. We take things of power and make them tawdry. And in the end, our soul sinks to that level. I mean, I'll be graphic. I mean, I, I warned some of you who asked me, warehouse is often PG-13. We are very PG-13 today. You know, and this this is going to sound like I'm in the edges, okay? Just so you know. Still about the center. If the n- number of men who would testify that when they began looking at a picture, a glossy picture of a woman, now which can be seen on a glossy screen, when they began looking at that, it seemed like no big deal. Come on, stupid rules. What's the big deal if I look at pornography? And that something happened. One, they found they couldn't stop. That one incident seemed to lead inevitably to another incident. And while it was like honey, it lost its savor quickly. It sounded like Chinese food. You eat it an hour later, you're hungry. Look at pornography and you discover that didn't help. In fact, at some level, I feel more disconnected. And then talk to men who've gotten deeply involved in pornography and ask them how it went if they were married and they wanted to have a strong sexual relationship with their wife. They began to lose the ability to do so. Because when you buy into the artificial and the fake, you become less able to embrace and live out the real. You can ask me why that's so, and I don't know. Simply the reality that we live with. When we buy into low levels, fake, shadows of the real thing, we become systematically less able to know, love, and to feel the real. And we discover that our hearts get more disconnected. You see what? The father then looks at his son and and says in verse 11 and 12, at the end of your life, look, if you, if you follow these words, which seem so sweet, I know it sounds good. At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you say, how oh, I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. You'll say, why did I follow that path? 
because I am less than I was. It's almost as if there was my soul and it was this much and it's shrunk. It's less than it was. How did this happen? It just seemed like nothing. It's just a hamburger, isn't it? And what the father's plea is, you can learn it. You can live any way you want. Nobody's putting a gun to your head. You can live any way you want. But there are consequences to the way we live. And the consequences for taking paths that are outside of the way God made us is that our heart gets smaller. And what the father is trying to look at his son is not get him to the end of his life and his son going at the end, you're right. You were right. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) After all, you were right. His father is longing to not see his son's life spent. This is the personification of God, who is not eager to put rules in your life. He's longing to not see your life get spent and your soul shrink. See, in the end, sex is about connection, but you know what it's really about? It's about Jesus. And I'm not stretching. This is what I mean. There's this passage, it won't be on your screen. And Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians is a book the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of the church of Ephesus. And in this section, he's talking about marriage and what it ought to look like. And, and I'll reaffirm this, by the way, again, that there are many people in marriage who are very lonely. And there are many people who are single who are experiencing uh, real connection. And so it's not like the Bible is saying, okay, married people get to have sex and they get to have connection. The loneliest place is to be alone when you know you're not supposed to be. Sex is about connection, and in Ephesians 5 and beyond, it's about Jesus, and this is why. Again, he's saying, okay, this is what marriage is supposed to be about. He said, you know, and he quotes the passage in Genesis 2. Two will become one, and you're not, okay. And so because the two will become one, we're supposed to live a certain way toward one another. And then, I'm tracking with you, I'm with you, Paul. And then suddenly he throws in the zinger and he says, now, it's a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. And it's like the head swivel, what, what do you mean you're talking about Christ in the church? So, sex is a real thing, but it metaphorically is meant to talk to us about connection. That people are really meant to be united. And, and then, marriage is a real thing. But that's a metaphor too. And it's a metaphor of what God actually wants for me. And so God is aiming a picture of a picture to help me to see that the deepest thing that he longs for me, that what he would love to learn in my life is that he made me for himself and my heart comes most alive in the depth of my connection with him. And everything else is a shadow. We can live as if sex is just a physical act. We can live believing the bloodhound gang is right. You and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. And you can sing the rest of the line in your head. And we can live that way if we want. If the physical act becomes a thing, it'll become your idol because it will drive you. I promise you, you will not be the one person in the history of the world that it hasn't driven to more and more. You'll, if that happens, you'll be the only one. If sex becomes your 
passion. It will become your idol. If it becomes your idol, you will do violence to your soul because systematically you will find your soul shrunk and yourself defrauded and you will never get the satisfaction. You'll keep wondering why. And so you'll push another limit, another limit, another limit, and keep going, why is this not working? Because it's not the thing. It's a shadow. It's a beautiful shadow, but it's a shadow and we make shadows the real thing. And we wonder why it doesn't work. Sex is about Jesus because it's really about us learning connection with him. And if you buy the whole premise that sex is about connection in its core, and then you go, but the edges, Bruce, come on, the edges. A little premarital sex there, a little adultery on the side, a little pornography, big deal. I buy the general argument, but after that, it's just rules. And Why would I instead say with what Jesus says about how to do it? Well, because he actually loves you. He, he died for you, and I'm not using this like it's the ultimate guilt thing. He died for you. The least you could do is follow him. It's more he proves it. I mean, he, he proves the fact that he actually loves you. You know, we, we make most of our decisions on our actions by what somebody says to us. Really. I do not choose my restaurants based on Zagat. I don't. I choose my restaurants because you tell me about them. Zen is now a thriving business because I've told you about them. Some of you can't get the picture of the Big Daddy's hamburger out of your mind. We choose most things we do because somebody we trust tells us about him. And the picture of Christianity is not this, is that God goes, look, I'm God. You're not. Here's a list of rules. It's in here. Read it. Read it. Learn it. Get it down. Live right. Okay? If you can get enough of the rules down, I might, I just might, bless your life and let you into heaven. But learn the rules. It is scary how often that's what we think Christianity is. Christianity is the story of this father looking at his son and going, Listen, I love you more than you could imagine. I fashioned you so that you could live fully. And there are things, trust me, there are things that will defraud you and will do violence to your soul. And in wisdom, I'm helping you to learn how to live fully. And so in the end, for those of us who follow Jesus, it really becomes an issue of what are we going to do with what Jesus said? Do we believe when he speaks to us, he speaks to us because he loves us? Or do we believe he's that God throwing the book at us? It's at core the question of what's going to be the defining center of our lives because there will be questions around the edges. There will. And and sometimes what we do is we choose the path that we know Jesus says this isn't life and for a variety of reasons. Just let me escape for a little bit. Maybe... Jesus didn't really mean that. Maybe he was kidding. He was a metaphor. No, his words are life. 
spoken from a God who made you, who died for you, and wants more for you. And knows there are paths that seem right, but in the end they lead to death. For those of you who are not followers of Jesus, you look at this, okay, sex may be about Jesus, but I'm not that interested in Jesus. The, the question I would have you explore, and perhaps this whole series is, take this challenge, if you would. Pick up the book of Proverbs. Read it. Watch and see if I'm not telling you the truth that in this is the picture that you didn't expect of Christianity, of not a God who's yelling at you, but a God who's wooing you. A God who calls you to follow him so that you could be alive. And God has never thrown the book at you. Sex is a beautiful thing. And it's about connection. And God calls us away from any use of it that brings others down, that brings our souls down, and that keeps us from experiencing the deep connection with him and with others we were meant to. Let's pray. Lord, could you make us people who live from the center and not from the edge, who make decisions about how we live by first seeing what's the core? Would you give us a a strength within that allows us to hear words of wisdom. One voice imploring us, wanting for us more. And another voice just saying, "Eh, it'll be fine. Experience has taught us otherwise. Lord, we want to live fully. Would you systematically trash within us those notions that see you as a God who's throwing a book at us, who's making up rules, and replace that with this vision of the Father, lovingly, imploringly speaking to his child. Let us hear your voice calling us to life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go into this um, time of uh, response, one, one thing that's really encouraged me about this series, one thing I'm very excited about is that to know that we never see Warehouse as a just a Sunday morning thing, you know, that we have real lives going on on both ends. And what I, what I love about this series is that we know at least 200 people just through Facebook are, are reading Proverbs together. And, and we know that there's many more who are not on Facebook or who are doing Proverbs together. And so I know many of you are coming in here having, having read and having, having maybe spent more time than, you're, than you usually do exploring what God is saying to you. And so you're bringing in a whole core of things that you've heard and you've, you've listened to and perhaps you've talked about in your, in your small group and... I'm encouraging you as you come into this time of worship, bring what you got. Bring where you are. Bring what you wonder about. Bring where you feel like God is moving in your life. And let this be a time of true response, not simply of this last 30 minutes or so, but where you see God moving in your life. Our offering is always for us a picture of that, that we are responding to where we see God moving in our life. I pray you, you will feel God engage you this morning.